turn on our Bibles this morning to the book of Isaiah, chapter 28. Sunday morning, we're studying the Bible, uh, actually Sunday night, study the Bible from Genesis uh, to Revelation, and currently we're studying the book of Isaiah. We'll look to cover chapters 25 through 28 this evening. This morning, we want to take a passage out of those chapters And we'll be looking at our verse in chapter 28. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, uh, we have a remedy for that. There are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. Wave and they'll get a Bible into your hands. It'll be marked to the passage. And then you can be able to study the word hearing it, but also seeing it with your own eyes. And please, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Single verse this morning, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and whoever believes will not act hastily. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. For these lines and these precepts that are found in your word. Thank you for this verse and what it speaks to us of our Savior. And Lord, everything that is ours, because of his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, our salvation and identity with him, Lord, we want all that has been made ours because of him to appropriate that in our lives. We want it to be a part of our daily experience to impact us spiritually and emotionally and mentally and physically. And we ask that you would open this passage up to us, unpack it today by your Holy Spirit, give us an understanding of it, Lord, an appreciation of it, and make it a part of our lives, Lord, for your glory and for our good. And we ask these things of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. At the time that Isaiah spoke this prophecy, this section of chapter 28 to the southern kingdom of Judah, the whole Middle Eastern world was completely gripped by fear and uncertainty. And that fear that had gripped them was a fear that gripped entire nations. It was something that was real nationally, but it was also something that was real individually. People were feeling the uncertainty of the days, the fear of the days. The Assyrian Empire was virtually uh, conquering all of the various nations of the region and Everyone was on a search for some source of security, some source of peace, some foundation upon which to build as a hedge against the uncertainty of the hour in human history. And as a result of it, the southern kingdom of Judah, God's people, they decided that the foundation that they were going to build on, the best way to deal with the uncertainty of the hour, was to enter into a covenant, a contract, a treaty with Egypt. 
a mutual defense pact so that if either of them was attacked by uh, the Assyrian Empire, then they would unite their military forces in order to attempt to blunt this invasion on the part of uh, Assyria against them. And as a result of this treaty with Egypt, Judah felt very strong, they felt very confident uh, in the face of the Assyrian threat to the region. But what Isaiah does in this chapter is he informs them that in trusting in Egypt for deliverance and strength rather than trusting in the Lord, that they have simply made a covenant with death and with Sheol. In other words, the covenant would result that he made with Egypt would result in widespread death. Many people would be plunged into Hades, into uh, hell, into eternity. They'd be taken out of this life and plunged into eternity. And Isaiah informed them further that in trusting in Egypt to deliver them from their problem, they were essentially trusting in a lie. They were trying to find peace in a lie. They were trying to find shelter in a lie, to find refuge in a lie. And the lie was that safety and peace can be found anywhere else in this world other than God. Because the source of our peace in life must always be greater than all in this world that would threaten our peace. And only God is that big. Only God is greater than every threat that we face. I have to confess that sometimes, in fact oftentimes, a lie is much easier, much perkier, a lot more convenient to trust in or to believe in rather than accepting the truth about our situation and then looking for the true answer to our problem. But the problem with trusting in a lie is that it always ends up disappointing us And sometimes, as with Judah here in our passage, the stakes are life and death. So there's no margin for error. We don't have the luxury of trusting in a lie or believing in a lie. And Judah's going to end up being severely disappointed in their decision to trust in Egypt rather than God for attempting to find peace and refuge in Egypt rather than in the Lord himself. And it is against this very dark backdrop that I've just explained to you. And the backdrop is dark by design, as Isaiah is prophesying, and as the book is written. And it is against this dark backdrop backdrop that the Holy Spirit then speaks to Judah and speaks to us as well this beautiful prophecy in verse 16 concerning the coming Messiah, coming at that time in human history, speaking of Jesus there in verse 16, concerning the only foundation stone and cornerstone that can withstand the storms of life, whether those storms are national whether those storms are international, whether those storms are individual and personal. Here is the foundation stone and the cornerstone that will never fail us and will provide us with stability. It will supply us with 
uh, a st- stableness within our life. It will supply us with peace and it will supply us with strength. And with it, we receive in this verse priceless instruction concerning where we can turn in life. What can we do practically when the whole world around us is shaking or individual life is shaking? We know that verse 16 refers to the Messiah, that it refers to Jesus, because in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter clearly ascribes it to Jesus in his first epistle, where he writes concerning he writes concerning Jesus, Now, coming to him, that is Jesus, in chapter 2 of his first epistle, coming to him, Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, and he quotes this verse, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. This is referring to a hymn, Peter says. And the hymn that this passage is referring to is none other than Jesus. Now let's examine this beautiful Old Testament description of Jesus by Isaiah here. First we're told that he is a foundation. And Jesus is described as a stone in our passage. And he is described as a stone for the purpose of being a foundation. But what in the world does that mean? Back in those days when they were building buildings in Judah, they wouldn't bring in a backhoe and dig out a trench for the foundation and then uh, the carpenters would come in and form up the foundation and then the cement trucks would come in and pour the cement for the foundation. These are all uh, modern kind of ways of dealing with things. What they would do when they would build a home or build any kind of building, is they would dig a trench. They would uh, dig an opening in the earth. Then they would take these great stones. Don't think of anything that you can lift. Think of stones and some of the buildings in Jerusalem. If you ever get the opportunity of going there and seeing the ruins, some of the stones were as wide as this stage in their size, depending on the significance of the building. These were gigantic stones that were used as foundation stones. So the great uh, trench would be built. These stones would be put uh, into their place. And then progressively they would use stones that were a little bit smaller than what had just been laid and so forth, smaller and smaller stones, as they would then build the walls of the home or of the building up. And in those days in Israel, the foundation and the walls of the, of the buildings were made of stone. Wood has always been relatively uh, scarce in Israel, comparatively speaking, and stones, oh my... <laughs> stones like crazy there. There's the old story of the fact that God gave two angels all of the stones that were supposed to be put on the earth, and they were called upon to scatter them over the whole face of the earth. And the one angel was faithful to do it, and the other angel 
um, dumped all of his stones in Israel and then went to Starbucks and got a peppermint mocha latte or whatever. It was equivalent in those days. So they had stones like crazy for building. And so it was what they used uh, to build their buildings. Now, a stone foundation, when you talk about a stone foundation, uh, biblically, Old Testament kind of imagery here, that represented the very best foundation that could possibly be laid. That's how you uh, built a home that was safe and solid. That was something that was going to last through the ages. Now, spiritually speaking, Isaiah was declaring that Messiah, that Jesus that he is the spiritual foundation that God has provided to mankind, to you and me, in order to provide us the very best in terms of a safe and a solid and a secure and an immovable life, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically. And so Jesus is. To put anything or anyone In that place in our life, other than him, Isaiah is saying, is to believe a lie. And as surely as Judah was believing a lie when it believed that Egypt could be the foundation of their security and of their peace in their life, and that led to disappointment, there is always a disappointment that ends up in a person's life who has made the foundation of their life anything other than the foundation that God has provided, and that is his son. Well, how in the world do we make Jesus the foundation of our life, that spiritual foundation in our life? By simply putting our faith in him as our Savior for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus put it this way in the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world, he loves the world. He loves his creation. He loves you. He is your creator. He is your maker. He knows you like you don't know you. (laughs) And yet he still loves you and me. I mean, he's crazy about you, but he can't ignore your sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whosoever, that's anyone can do it, would believe in him or trust in him for the forgiveness of sins, would not perish but have everlasting life. And when a person comes to God and says, God, I believe your assessment of me as a sinner. I've been less than perfect all of my life. I can't argue with that. And I believe that you are so holy and so perfect that but one sin in my life would separate me from you. And I don't argue against it. I don't fight against it. I'm glad you are that holy and you're that perfect. But God, I also believe that you loved me so much that you sent your son to die on that cross in order to pay the price I could never pay as a sinner for the forgiveness of my sins. And I believe that he didn't just die on the cross but that he was buried and he rose again on the third day and conquered both death and hell for me, as we've sung here this morning. And so, God, I turn from my 
selfishness, my self-will from my sin. This is called repentance. I turn from the life that I have chosen for myself and made for myself, and I turn to you, I put my faith in you, and I put my faith in Jesus, and, and uh, now I want to live the life that you have called me to. That's the life that I want to live. And when a person says something like that in their heart, even means that in their heart toward the Lord, and that prayer that can be there in our heart, the moment a person does that, the Holy Spirit comes into that person's life. It's the greatest miracle that can occur in life. It will occur all over this world. Greater than lengthening a leg or a healing of brain aneurysm or whatever it might be. Those are wonderful miracles if God chooses to do them. But the greatest miracle that occurs in a human life is when they're born again by the Holy Spirit. And then now the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you have the capacity for relationship with God. And as a result of putting your faith in Jesus, He now becomes the foundation of your life. And God introduces into your life with His Son a stability, a rock-solidness into your life that did not exist one moment before that prayer. That's how Jesus becomes your foundation, by making him your Savior. When he becomes our Savior, he automatically becomes our foundation. You notice that Isaiah's description of this foundation, this salvation, this Savior is uh, included in the verse he describes this stone this found for a foundation, that it's a tried stone, that it is a sure foundation. The idea that it's a tried stone means that it's been tested, that it's been proven. You think about how many people have put their faith in Jesus Christ throughout all history, even to this day. How many people know the Lord, have trusted in Him, love Him all over this world? In every culture, in every circumstance, in the hustle and bustle of New York City, in, in villages where the most ornate building in the village is a, is a thatched hut, all across the broad diversity of the world and the culture and human beings, how many people have put their faith in Jesus Christ and in every environment in the world, every nation of the world, every kindred, every tongue they have and we have tested this foundation, tested the promises of God in our life and then found this foundation to be exactly as Isaiah declared that he would be, that it is sure and that it is tested and that it is proven. Exactly as Edward Mote expressed in his famous hymn, The Solid Rock. My hope is built, he said. The imagery is here. All through the Bible. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the, the sweetest frame, Egypt or otherwise, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground 
is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. It's the message of Isaiah in this verse. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. And why do Christians, including us, sing this song with the kind of passion with which we sing this song? Because we know it to be true experientially. It's no longer just a word on a page. We've been through the valleys. We've been through the storms. We've been through all that life can dish out and all of its highs and all of its lows in the preparation of each of our lives for eternities and for eternity. And we have discovered that He is a foundation in our life that no one else could provide. And we're thankful for it. We know that there's no other explanation for the fact that we are still standing through all of the storms that we've been through in life than the fact that when we gave our faith to Christ, gave our lives to Christ, that a foundation then was introduced into our life that we'd never known before. How many of you this morning have no other explanation for the quality of your life than the fact that Jesus is a stone for a foundation and that he's a tried stone and he is a sure foundation. And Isaiah is saying when you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, to begin a relationship with God, to receive everlasting life, you're not taking any risk at all in doing that. He has brought peace and faith and confidence into so many lives where there was once only panic and fear and instability and only moments before in a person's life. And he will do the same thing in your life as well. Jesus is a tried stone, a sure foundation. There's a commentator that I like very much. His name is Joseph Parker. I used to read him more than I do now. Joseph Parker was a preacher, a pastor of a church in London at the same time that Charles Spurgeon was ministering in London. It was a very good time to be a Christian in London, I'll tell you. And not just because of those two. But Joseph Parker was very different from Spurgeon as every servant is different from one another. Joseph Parker wrote of Jesus as this tried stone and sure foundation. He said, praise no stone until you've tested it. He said, Lord, no doctrine till you've tried it in the marketplace, in the sick chamber, in the valley of the shadow of the deepest distress. Then come forward and say what that stone was worth, how it bore the strain, what it was in the sense of security and comfort and dignity and satisfaction. When you hear the last patented religion praised, pay no heed to the trivial eulogy. It is a patent that has been not been put to the proof. 
It has done nothing for the world. It has no long, noble, dignified history behind it. It glitters, but it has not been proved in life's long night of pain and restlessness and sorrow. Be jealous of new inventions which relate to the kingdom of heaven. Have faith in nothing that does not come up from eternity. Believe not in any sacrifice that was not offered before the world began. In this sense, Jesus Christ was a stone of proof. He was tried morning, noon, and night in the cold and in the heat and all the variation of life's changeful scene. And this is the record most precious when most needed, strongest when the enemy was most importunate, completest in all attribute, faculty, and Grace, when hell gathers itself up for a final tremendous onslaught upon his dignity and worth. Thank you, Brother Parker, for your insights into our Savior. And it's true. And only Jesus is that stone. You say, that's narrow. You say, you Christians, you that. How can you say there's all of these other religions, all of these other philosophies, all of these other this and all of that? Only Jesus is that stone. Only Jesus is that stone. Only Jesus can bring that to a human life. Every other religion, every other man, every other treaty, every other covenant, every other contract will disappoint either in this life at the moment of death and the life to come, only Jesus can be this foundation in a person's life. And God wants you to know that. Everybody has a right to know that. So when the moment comes when all of these other things that we've believed in have failed us and we begin to despair of the fact that there is any foundation in life that can keep me from sinking deeper than I've already sunk, sunk when I feel afraid of de- sinking even an inch deeper than I've sunk, to hear and to be reminded that at some time in some church someone told me that Jesus and Jesus alone is that foundation. And everyone needs to know it. And when he becomes that stone in our life, then our life is founded on something that's sure and strong and greater than any storm in this life. And Jesus becomes our foundation when we come to know him as our Savior. And then he remains that foundation in our life forevermore, rock solid. But I want you to notice there's more about Jesus in this passage than the description of him as our foundation. He's also described as a cornerstone. What does that mean? What is that communicating about Jesus? In those days, the chief cornerstone was the first stone that was laid in the foundation of a building. And because that cornerstone was the cornerstone of the building, certain things were always true of it. First, as the cornerstone... It was by far the most important stone in the building. Second, as the cornerstone, every other stone in the building had a relationship to that cornerstone. And then third, 
every other stone in the building was measured off of that cornerstone. It was placed in alignment. It was given its place in the building by virtue of being measured off of the trueness of that cornerstone. And as a result, in the words of the Apostle Paul, when he speaks of the same imagery in Ephesians chapter 2, the building as a result of this relationship to the cornerstone was fitted together. That is, it was solid and sure. We would say that that building was safe and sound. And it's only safe and sound, a building is, if all of those things are true. And what is true of a physical cornerstone and a physical building? God intends to be true of Jesus in every human life. First of all, he is to be the most important stone or the most important part of every single one of our lives. And second, just as every other stone in the building was tied to that cornerstone, had a relationship to that cornerstone, every one of us is intended to have a living personal relationship with Jesus. And then third, it is intended that each of us align or measure every part of our lives off of him in order to make sure that our life is true and that it's square. We are to align or measure our speech according to our cornerstone, according to Jesus. Our actions, our thoughts, our motives, our attitudes. In other words, Isaiah was prophesying that the Messiah would come into the world not only to save us and to forgive us, but then further to provide us with a new model for life and for living and to provide us with a model for living the greatest and the freest and the most meaningful life that a person can live. How horrible it would be if Jesus were merely a foundation and not also a cornerstone. It would be like being saved as a Christian, but being forced to then live the rest of my life as I always have. Dominated by the same sins, the same selfishness, the same flesh that had dominated me since the day of my birth. Yes, I'm forgiven all of it. Yes, one day I'll be in heaven. But what a nightmare my life is between now and heaven. I'm no freer than I, than I ever was before after having putting my faith in Christ. What a terrible thing it would be. I would take the foundation. I would take the everlasting life. I would glom onto the hope of it. Absolutely. But Christ isn't just a foundation. He's a cornerstone. He doesn't just forgive us of our sins, but he changes our life. And he conforms our life into the image of Christ. And as he does that, as he, by the Holy Spirit, aligns our life day in and day out, conversation by conversation, hour by hour, interaction by interaction, conforms us into the image of Christ. Now we know him as the cornerstone. Now we're living life. It's a foretaste of heaven, what we're one day going to be. And it's one of the greatest experiences in life. Not just to know him as my Savior, but to know him as my Lord. 
And that's what the corner, the foundation stone speaks of him as Savior. The cornerstone speaks of him as Lord. And it isn't enough to just know him as Savior, but to also know him as Lord. And to say, yes, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, I don't want to just be saved and have my fire insurance and one day go to heaven. I want the whole world to know Christ. I want the world to see the miracle that Christ performs in a human life. And I want them to see it in my life. Conform me into the image of my Savior. And that is to know him as the cornerstone of our life. And what will the result be? Some terrible, miserable life? What does he bring to a life that makes him their chief cornerstone, the most important part of their life? He'll provide a solid foundation for our lives. He'll bring a stability to our lives we would never otherwise know. He brings a completeness to our lives that we would never otherwise know. He holds our lives together. He will produce a life that is not only in terms of eternal life, but a life right now that is solid and it's safe and it's beautiful. A life that we, as we live it, We will never be ashamed of, not for one moment of time, for having lived that life. Isn't Christianity terrible? And when my life is being measured off of him and his words, then I can rest assured that not only is everything going to be okay related to my eternity, But I can rest assured that everything is going to be all right in my life. In this life, between now and eternity. Jesus put it this way, using the same language and the same imagery as Isaiah. As he closed that great sermon of his called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. And he said, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and they do. And the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall. For it was founded on the rock. Because Jesus is our foundation. And he is our cornerstone. He is both our Savior and our Lord. You will not fall. He will not fail you. However great the storm is in your life however strongly it is beating upon your life, this trial, this difficulty, however many storms are lined up out on the Pacific waiting to come in for the rest of our life. As we make him our foundation and our cornerstone, both our Savior and our Lord, we live with the confidence that we will never fall And that he will never fail us. This brings us then to our final point. 
What will be the result of making him both the foundation and the cornerstone of our lives? Isaiah says, it's peace. He said, whoever believes in him will not act hastily. It can be translated just as well as it is in other translations. Whoever believes will not act in panic. Do you know anything about panic in life? I think most of us do at one time or another. Whoever believes will not act hastily, will not act in panic. There's no need to. Will never be ashamed. Never be dismayed is another way that it's put. And another version puts it this way, and accurately so. Those who rely on him never need run scared. And the whole idea is that they will have peace. And so we don't live in hurricane territory. We live in drought territory (laughs) and earthquake territory, California. There was an earthquake that happened over in Napa this last summer. Or, yeah, it was still summer. I'm I'm like a kid. I still measure like summer is when school is out. It goes a little bit past. And this hotel rocked and it shook and all of this. And there was a lady visiting from the East Coast. And she was catching a flight. She's down there probably in her jammies down at the lobby. She's arranging the first flight back to the East Coast. She said, out there, you know, we have hurricanes and all of that kind of stuff. But they tell you ahead of time that they're coming. (laughs) So when those great storms or hurricanes hit the Gulf Coast of the United States or they hit the East Coast of the United States, you see the preparations that are made for the storms when they come. All of the sandbags that are put out, the business owners, sometimes the homeowners, boarding up the windows of their their houses. And when a great personal storm is hitting my life and filling me with a sense of panic. A great storm is brewing in the world all around us and it fills us with this sense of uncertainty. We're to do something different in the spiritual realm. The preparation for the storm, the passage tells us, that peace may reign in our hearts through whatever the world can dish out against us, again, internationally or individually, is number one, we sit down and we ask ourselves first, is Jesus the foundation of my life? Am I saved? And if I can't say yes, then I need to make him my savior this morning. If I sit here this morning and I ask myself, is Jesus the foundation of my life? Am I saved? And I can say, yes, he is. And I can say, check. And then I go on to ask myself this question. Is my life in the right relationship with Jesus? Because Isaiah, again, he's talking not just about foundation, but cornerstone. The peace that God wants to bring into our life is found not just in Jesus being our Savior, 
but also our Lord. So I sit down and I ask myself second, is my life in right relationship with Jesus? Am I living my life in obedience to his life, to his word, to his example? And if I'm not doing that, then I need to correct that right now in my heart before I leave this room, get in my car, and go someplace else. But if both of those things are true, if he is both foundation and cornerstone to you, he is both Savior and Lord to you, then you can know that you're going to be fine, both in the storm and through the storm, and that's the confidence that God wants you to have. And no one ever puts their trust in Jesus for salvation and then makes him the pattern for their life is ever disappointed for having done so. God himself will make sure of it. There'll be no shame. There'll be no regret for having done that. Again, as Jesus said, the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, it beat on the house, and it did not fall for it was founded upon the rock. What can we do in the whole world, our whole individual world, is shaking? Is there no safe place to turn to in a world like this? Is there no sure foundation to build upon? And thankfully there is. And it's found in this foundation, this cornerstone of being right and in right relationship with Jesus. And if you sit here this morning and that describes you as a Christian, then you rest in that truth. If you sit here this morning as a Christian and Jesus is your foundation, he may be your savior, but he is far from your cornerstone. If you sit here today and he isn't even remotely the pattern for your life. The Bible describes that as a carnal Christian, as a lukewarm Christian, a backslidden Christian. For whatever appearances I might be able to give outwardly. Then the passage encourages you strongly to make Jesus your cornerstone as well. And how does that happen? By settling the issue of his lordship today. And saying, Lord, I'm going to get on my knees in this room. Or I'm going to sit quietly in this chair as people leave this service in just a minute or two. And I'm not going to leave until you are both the foundation stone of my life and the cornerstone of my life. And until I make that commitment. If you sit here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, what the passage speaks to you is to trust in Jesus today. Jesus is God's provision to you. The passage declares, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I lay in Zion. This is the Father's Savior. This is heaven's Savior for you. 
This is not something a group of men and women have come up with in the highest levels of government or in some university. This is the foundation and the cornerstone that the God who has made you has provided for you. Heaven is pleased with Jesus. Heaven is blessed by Jesus. Heaven believes and God the Father believes that in providing Jesus to you as a foundation and as a cornerstone that he has done something magnificently and without the ability to put a price on it good for you. And so he has. And there's hope for you in your situation. Jesus will be that foundation and that cornerstone for you. And what you are one minute before you trust in him as your Savior and as your Lord, and what you become one second after you do are two entirely different things because of the miracle that God will perform in your life when you trust in Christ. All of a sudden, you have a foundation, a stability, a sureness, a solidness in your life that you've never known before. And it is God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit. And it's there waiting for you. There are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service. And they'd love to answer your questions and pray with you to become a Christian this morning. Someone might sit here today and say, you know, somebody brought me here to church because they said they'd buy me breakfast at Mimi's afterwards. So I'm glad you're finished. But that's where we're heading. And then we're going to go to that godforsaken place called the mall afterwards and fight for a parking spot. I'm just kidding, tongue in cheek on that. But you say, you know, I'm not going to do that. My life's been pretty good. I've never sensed the need for a foundation or a cornerstone or whatever. Will you hold this sermon in your heart for the day the storm comes? And it will come. If not in life, then in death. And it will pound and it will beat and you will find yourself in something in which you are in way over your head in terms of your own resources and what you're trusting in. And you remember this sermon this morning, that God has provided you with a foundation and a cornerstone. And he is there to trust in at a moment's notice, and he will become that in your life. The one thing I can't, I can guarantee that to you. But the one thing I can't guarantee to you is that you will live long enough to have another opportunity to trust in him. That's why there's life and death in the room always concerning the gospel and the salvation that is found in Christ. That's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation because today is the only day you have. Don't wait until you recognize your need for a foundation in a cornerstone experientially from some trial in your life if you haven't had such a trial in your life. 
recognize the possibility of storms and difficulty in your life that are way beyond what your ability to cope with. Think about your family members and your friends and your co-workers. Think about the diseases they're dealing with. Think about the death that they're facing. Think about the job loss that they're facing. Think about the evictions that they're facing. Think about all of those things and the possibility that at a moment those things could be your portion as well. And then from the vantage point of a relative safety, realize now, I don't have to wait until I'm crashing and burning to make this decision. I can see what's being said here and what God is offering. I'll make today the day of my salvation. And these men and women would love to pray with you. If you're here today and you are far from God, walking with him, backslidden, you say, I want to pray with somebody related to this. I want to settle the issue of his lordship in my life. These same men and women would love to pray with you and for you as well. No one needs to leave this room and pick up their kids and get in their car and leave here without being in right in the place where we can claim the peace that is found in this verse as we leave with Jesus in right relationship with him as both our foundation stone and our cornerstone. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Thank you this morning, Lord, for our Savior. Thank you for all that is bound up in him, all that he brings to our life, Lord, we're humbled. And we thank you that when we became Christians, we became a part of something far bigger, the kingdom of God, something that is founded upon Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his life. All of these things, Lord, that are rock solid. And we thank you for that foundation in our lives and the peace that is ours that we would never otherwise know. And thank you, Jesus, for being willing to come into this world and to endure what you endured to make all of this a possibility. For someone like me and someone like each of us that is in this room. Thank you. As Christians this morning, Lord, we thank you for the quality of life that we live every day, a quality that we would never otherwise know. Just in the realm of peace. Thank you, Jesus, for providing it to us. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory from this place and from our hearts, Lord, for having done so. And we do so in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.